Um, it's good to see you all. My name is Victor. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Um, excited to preach God's word to you this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. So if you would turn there in your Bibles. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet?' Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant isn't greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then hop down to verse 31 with me. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we've been considering what it would mean for Grace Chapel uh, to become apprentices of this first century rabbi, Jesus. To to practice his way, to follow him around, to to go to parties with him, to, to see what it would be like to spend time with him. Watch him interact with our neighbors. Listen to his words. Do the things that he did and and become like him. And to do this, we've been looking at different core teachings that characterized Jesus' ministry. And today, we're going to look at this, this teaching of loving one another. 
Um, and it's this scene in John 13 where, where Jesus is, it's the upper room discourse. Um, it's the night Jesus is betrayed and, and he's celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples. This meal that he wanted to reframe for his followers so that when they ate it and drank it, they thought about him. They thought about him. How his body was broken like bread, how his blood was poured out like wine. And during the meal, Jesus does something even more peculiar. He gets up and he starts washing his disciples' feet. Um, giving them just another example of what his love is like. And this scene, it reminds me of the show Undercover Boss. Have you guys ever seen that show? It's so good. It's fascinating to me because you have these like high-level execs anonymously slipping into the lower-level positions, interacting with their own employees. And it's fascinating for many reasons. One, you get to see these CEOs like squirm as their employees critique, sometimes pretty harshly, the, the companies that they run. But for me, it's fascinating because we know what these CEOs are doing is so backwards. It's so backwards, it's out of place. The ones with all the power, flipping burgers, manning assembly lines, cleaning toilets. It's backwards. It's not how it's supposed to be. It just kind of feels wrong, right? Well, that's how the disciples felt when their leader and rabbi Jesus, the one who they become convinced was the Messiah of Israel, got up from supper and started washing their feet. The disciples, they don't know how to respond. Like, look at verse 6 there. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand. You don't understand, but afterward, you will understand. And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Because what Jesus is doing, it just goes against everything that these men knew to be true about the world. In their world, rabbis do not wash the feet of their disciples. It, it, that is a task for, it's a lowly task for lowly people. But Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing right now because you don't understand love. You don't understand love. And, and we don't either. <laughs> we don't, you know, there's a lot of talk about love these days, right? Um, but this kind of love? No, we don't get it. In John 13, Jesus is giving this like master class on love to his disciples and throughout the Gospel of John, there's a whole lot of knowing going on. I don't know, as, as I read the, the text, if you caught it, but in there, the two main verbs for to know, which are oida and ginosko, they come up nine different times in our passage alone. Knowing. Not this like intellectual head knowledge, but this experiential knowledge. And John refers to three different parties that know. Jesus, his followers, and the world. And we're going to take a look at all three, and we're going to ask these three questions. First, what did Jesus know? Second, what must we know? 
And last, how will the world know? Let me pray. Father, we have your book open in front of us, your words, um, and we want to to meet you today. Uh, We need you. We need to know um, some things in order to love one another. So I pray that you would show us the way. Um, May the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, what did Jesus know? What I love about the Gospels is that sometimes we get to look behind the curtain a little bit. We get to see um, the the inner life of Jesus. We get to read God's thoughts. And that's what's happening here in the first few verses of chapter 13. So look at verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father— Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. His hour referred to the time of his crucifixion. And in in the Gospel of John, Jesus has been talking about his hour since day one. Go back to the wedding at Cana. Chapter two, day one, Jesus knew that his hour was coming. He knew that that Judas was going to betray him, that he'd suffer the terror of the cross. And knowing it beforehand, he could have avoided it, right? He could have found a different way. He could have eked out of it. But he goes willingly to the cross and all that it held for him. Why? Because Jesus knew who he, who he is, who he was. And that's the second thing that John says Jesus knows in chapter 13. So look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So Jesus, he knew who he was, that he was loved by the Father, that he'd been given all authority in heaven and on earth, that that had been given into his hands, and that his crucifixion, though it would be horrific and violent, it would not be the end of him. Resurrection was on the other side. He was going to go back to the Father. And a few chapters before this, we, he just says this plainly. He tells his disciples, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And it was this sort of knowledge that carried Jesus through his passion, his betrayal, crucifixion, and death. It's this sort of knowledge that strengthened Jesus to get down on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples, even Judas, even Judas, his enemy. Um, We can't imagine this sort of love. It's so far from our lived experience Because some of us, we don't even know people that we disagree with or that are different from us, let alone just interact face-to-face with them. We've crafted caricatures of what these people, those other people are like, right? But to interact with them, to listen to them, to eat a meal with them, to, to enter into the mess of their life like we're washing their dirty feet, um, with a desire to, to, 
to bless them and not judge them, man, that's, it's so far from our experience, at least from mine. And what Jesus is doing, it should shock us. It should shock us as it shocked his disciples because this love is, is different. This love is different than bumper sticker love. It's different than yard sign love. It's different than Taylor Swift love. I know. You come to church, you get hurt. Um, friends, that love is cheap. It's easy. It's, it's oftentimes self-serving, self-promoting. This love is costly. It's self-forgetting. It's humbling and painful. This is a vulnerable, intimate interaction with the man who will, be, who will betray him. With fair-weather friends who in a few hours' time are going to just abandon him. But Jesus still loved them to the end. And the only way he could do that, to enter into this heart-wrenching, lonely moment like the cross, is because he knew who he was. That he was deeply loved by the Father. That he had been given all authority in heaven and on earth. It's like that time when I was 10 years old and I wanted to go to a haunted house. And so I asked, my siblings and I asked my stepmom to bring us to a haunted house. And we went to a haunted house. It wasn't a G-rated, like, boo at the zoo kind of haunted house. No, it wasn't. It was, I just remember standing outside the, the, the four-story building and just hearing, like, screams and evil laughter, like, leaking out of the building. And I'm standing there terrified. Um... I don't know why I wanted to go to, to one of these places, but my stepmom was like, I'll take you. And she could probably just sense my fear because she said to me, hey, don't worry. Just hold on to me and I'll be with you the whole time. And remember, they can't touch you. And this was back when, like, overalls were cool, before they got lame and then became cool again. And my stepmom was wearing her overalls, and as we walked through the house, I was behind her, and I had the straps, like, in my hands, and I'm just, like, pulling them up, giving her the wedgie of her life. And, um... Just as these, like, demons and ghouls come out of the shadows and approach me, And I'm yelling like at them, you can't touch me! You can't touch me! And it was terrifying, right? But I knew that I was loved. I knew that evil couldn't touch me. So reflecting on Jesus' road to the cross, it's good for us because we realize that loving us wasn't cheap or easy for him. It's not because you, like, disgust him or something like that, but it's because of what washing, saving you and I required of him. Entering into the humility of the foot washing and the terror of the cross, it took every ounce of him. It killed him. It took every part of him. And he needed to know that beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was deeply loved by his father. It's a very human thing, right? Like Jesus needed to know he was loved. And if that's the case, what about us? 
What about us? In order to love us, how much more, we his followers, we need to know that we're deeply loved by him in order to enter into relationship with one another. And that's the next thing we're going to talk about. Because friends, sometimes walking into a church can feel like walking into a haunted house. Right? We need to know we're loved. So that's the second thing. What, what must we know? Jesus invites his disciples into the arena of understanding. So while he's making the rounds, he's washing the feet of his disciples. He comes to Peter, who we've already read, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And, and Jesus says, what I'm doing, you don't understand or know right now, but you will know. And then after Jesus finished washing the disciples' feet, look at what he asks in verse 12. He says, do you understand or know what I have done to you? And in his question, Jesus, he shows his concern that we know how we've been loved by him. That's Jesus' like main concern here. You have to know how I've loved you. Because if we don't, if you don't, you're going to enter into the world. You're going to enter into the church in one of two ways. Um, you're going to be like Peter, who in his pride, he didn't think that he needed to be washed by Jesus. Who in his pride, he just, he thought he was better than others. That he knew better than God himself. What does pride do to our love? What does pride do to our, it laces our love with this self-righteousness. So we walk around and everybody that we love feels smaller than us feels beneath us, and we try to keep them there. Or you might enter, if you don't know you're loved, you might enter into, the, into relationships like Judas, who hid in his shame. He didn't let the love of Jesus transform him, renew him, make him clean. Jesus, he washed Judas's feet, but still Judas was unclean. He remained unclean. For him, Jesus washing him, it wasn't enough. I'm, too, I'm damaged goods, Jesus. What you're doing, it's just not going to work. And so in his shame, what does he do? What, is, what does shame do to our love? It chokes it. It makes us feel unworthy of love so that we isolate, we hide, we harden ourselves to others. It also makes us turn to envy and we just want to destroy the good that others enjoy. So can you relate to either of these two on those days where you struggle to know you're, you're loved by God? How do you enter into the world, enter into relationships with other people? We need to know we're loved by Jesus because every moment of the day invites us into this knowledge. When, when you're walking into your infant's room for the 15,000th time in the middle of the night to soothe her, you need to know you're loved. When you're sitting down for your, your end of the year review with your boss over coffee, you need to know that you're loved. When your spouse doesn't acknowledge when you walk in the door after a, a really hard day of work, you need to know that you're loved. When, you're, when your fellow classmate keeps talking about how he got the A and you didn't, and he's just like talking it up, you need to know that you're loved by God. When you feel forgotten by your friends, your grown-up children, your pastor, your small group, you need to know that you're loved. 
by God. So how have you been loved by him, by Jesus? Well, first, Jesus has made us his own. So look at verse 1. Elsewhere in this gospel, Jesus talks about those whom the Father has given to him. If you're a follower of Jesus, united to him, part of the way Jesus has loved you is that he's made you his own. This word here, it's almost like Jesus is talking about you like you're his private property. You belong to him. Second, we have a share in Jesus. So look at verse 8. Verse eight. And Jesus says to Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. This notion of, of having a share or a part in something, it's, it's almost like an inheritance. So not only has Jesus made you his own, Jesus has given himself and all that he has to you. And thirdly, he, he washed us. He washed you. He cleaned you. So this, this verb for wash, it shows up eight times just in the first 14 verses of chapter 13. The New Testament, it speaks of just becoming a Christian. You, you, you are washed clean. Your heart is sprinkled clean. You, you now have a clean conscience in him. So now we, ha- we have to know that, that we are deeply loved by Jesus. And, and to know his love, we have to experience it. We can't just know about it, right? That's why Jesus says in verse 15, I've given you an example He didn't give us a manual or a rule book or a YouTube video. No, he gave us himself. He showed us. He engaged our senses. He said things like, this is what my love is like. It's like bread broken for you. It's like wine poured out for you. It's like a king kneeling before you, washing your feet. That's what my love is like. And on top of that, friends, if you belong to him, he's put his spirit inside of you, this spirit that reminds you that you're beloved, that you, you're a child of God, and that nothing can separate you from his love. Why else did he give us an example? So look again at verse 15. It says that you also should do just as I have done to you. So not only is this love of Jesus the power that enables us to enter into relationship, the hard work of love for one another, it's actually the pattern. It's the pattern we're supposed to model. Which means that loving one another is going to be costly. It's going to feel like washing feet. It's going to feel like death sometimes. And this is really hard because sometimes, sometimes I don't really like writing sermons because it just shows me how farther I have to go with Jesus. Because it feels so good for, for a moment to let contempt like leak out of you accidentally. Right? It just feels good to, to unleash and say the thing that you know will just jab them in the right place. It feels good It feels good when you stonewall someone and you wait to reply to that text message for an extra day, hoping that they get it, you know? Because to do the opposite, to hold your tongue, to give the benefit of the doubt, to see your wife or that guy from the small group or the person next to you in the pew through their eyes and not through, like, your your injured pride, it feels like death, it feels like dying. But don't we know that that is what love actually is? 
That is love what actually requires because we've experienced it. We've tasted it. We've tasted the, the sweetness of it. We've been on the receiving end of it. This space-giving grace of Christ, this patient love of our Savior Jesus. So now to offer someone, someone something other than that would be to offer them a counterfeit, something cheap. The love of the church is supposed to pattern itself after the love of Jesus, so much so that when, when you walk into a room full of Christians, you're supposed to experience the love of Christ. You're supposed to, to feel like what it's to be in his presence, to be loved by him, not just by a brother or a sister in, in Jesus, but by him, by Jesus. Sometimes I'll be the one to put our boys down uh, to bed when, when Mallory's like at, at work or just not at home. And our boys love their mama. Our boys love their mama. And so sometimes they just get pretty sad when she's not there and dad has to put them down. They love me when I'm like wrestling with them. But when it's time to like put them down and they just want to like snuggle up, for, you know, with their mom, they're like, dad, just... You know what you're here for. <laughs> um, and when that's the case, when they get sad, I'll ask Jed, my three-year-old, Hey, buddy, can I give you a mama kiss? Because somehow, in the midst of parenting, I have achieved mom status. <laughs> I've been endowed with the authority of mom. Mom authority. And so I get to love Jed like his mom loves him, so much so that when I give him a mama kiss, he receives it like a kiss, not just from me, but from his mom. And that's what the church is supposed to be like, just walking around with one another, giving each other Jesus kisses. You guys are probably going to be like, I'm keeping my distance from Victor. But we've been given the authority of Christ. We've been given his love as a pattern to follow so that when I don't consider the fact that you and your husband have, have been struggling with infertility for years and you're in my small group and I, I start to complain week after week about how hard parenting is and I say something silly like, man, I just wish I could like ship my kids off to a different country. And it just stings you. It hurts you. You don't have to go to a different small group. You can come to me and say, Victor, I was hurt by what you said. And we didn't want to just leave because we love you and we love your kids. And in that moment, though it felt like death, you sound and you look and you've loved me like Jesus. We pattern our love after the love of Christ. Man, what are the implications of this? First and foremost, there is no such thing as a do-it-yourself Christianity. There just isn't. So I'll say it plainly. If you're trying to do the Christian life alone, you're missing out. Because one of the main ways Jesus has made himself and his love available to you 
is through the friendship and commitment of his church. Though it's messy and though it's broken. Second, it's, you know, it's so easy to pattern Christian community after something other than the love of Jesus. In America, we pattern it after a number of things. Fortune 500 companies. We got to grow and we got to grow fast. Or we pattern it after Hollywood celebrity culture where we're, we're, we're brought together around this like really charismatic personality. We, we, we uh, model it after political parties where just a church isn't identified by their love. They're identified by the agenda and the values that they've adopted, either from the right or the left. Or we, we model it after like counseling practices where everyone needs to feel safe and we don't hurt one another. And we don't need to change. I love counseling. I, I'm in counseling, by the way. Um... It's just easy to lose our way, isn't it? So what, what do we need to know to love one another? Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So the pattern and power Jesus gives to his church so that they might know how to love one another, it's not just for them. It's not just for us, friends. It's not just for us. Finally, we see the reason we're to love one another. So this is our last point. How will the world know? So look at verses 31 through 33. Uh, when he had gone out, that's Judas. Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus says in verse 33 that he won't be with his disciples much longer. He's, he's leaving the world. They'll look for him, but they won't be able to find him. Now just think about what the disciples, how they would have heard this, right? Like they just given the past three years of their lives following this rabbi around. Not only had he become their way of life, they had spent these years spreading the news about the kingdom of Jesus in Judea and Galilee. Life, of, life with Jesus and spreading his gospel had filled their calendars. So he's leaving now? Like, I have some questions, Jesus. First, what do we do now? Second, how is, how is the gospel going to spread how will the world know you? And they get at least one answer here. So look at verse 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So how will the world know about Jesus? The way his followers love one another will point the world to him. This is a quote from Francis Schaeffer uh, that speaks to that. He says, Through the centuries, men have displayed many different symbols to show that they are Christians. They've worn marks in their lapels of their coats, hung chains about their necks, even had special haircuts. But there is a much better sign— a mark that has not been thought up just as a matter of expediency for use on some special occasion or in some specific era. It is a universal mark that is to last through all the ages of the church until Jesus comes back. 
love. And the unity it attests to is the mark Christ gave Christians to wear before the world. Only with this mark may the world know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father. So we'll talk more about this next week, but how do you identify yourself as a Christian in front of other people who don't know him? For me, it's changed throughout the years. When I was in college, if you didn't have chacos, you weren't a Christian. In seminary, if you didn't smoke a pipe, wear flannel, and have glasses from Warby Parker, you were not a Christian. (laughs) Oh, man. What is it for you? How do people know you're a follower of Jesus? The answer to that question in part, friends, should be that they've seen how you and your brothers and sisters in Christ have loved each other. Um, And loved each other in all your diversity and disagreements, right? So let's close here. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Amen? Let me pray. Father, you, um, you show us how to love. You've loved us with an everlasting love in the person of Jesus. We're humbled by that love. It's a costly love. And Lord, it, it, it's a painful love that you invite us into, and we stink at it a lot of the time. And so we... We want, we want Grace Chapel to, to look like this. I think it does a lot of the time. It's in those hidden moments, you know. But we want it more, you know. We want it more. And so, Lord, help us to love the people on the other side of the aisle here at Grace Chapel. Help us enter into the vulnerable, costly love that you loved us with. Um, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.